0: Hello and welcome to The Fizzle Show! <laughs> What's up everybody? I'm Chase Reeves. I'm joined in the studio by Corbett Barr. and Today we are talking about something exciting about indie business. You're an independent person trying to earn a living doing something you actually care about. You might already be doing that. You might be on the way to becoming independent and fully functional. That's what this show is about. And today is no exception because we have... We have a very special guest and a very big topic to talk about, okay? The question is this. If you're starting a business, you're gonna need to learn some stuff. You don't necessarily already know everything that you need to to start a business. So you're gonna spend some time learning. But what's worth learning and what isn't? That's the question. Because if you waste your time learning crap, you're the only one that gets to pay for that. You're just hurting yourself. And we're looking at this question through a pretty interesting lens today. We're looking at it through the lens of two massive long-term vision guys on the web. Corbett Barr, sitting across from me, has been on the web since when? Corbett, uh, my first business started in two thousand and four. Two thousand and four, which is literally like like a, some people were still in high school or middle school. I don't know I what I don't know how I don't know how long a decade is. but it's more than that. Yeah, right? it was a long time ago. And then. On the mics, special guest, live caller coming in, Pat Flynn. Say what's up, Pat.
1: What's up guys? I've been a flindy entrepreneur and uh, since 2008 a flindy entrepreneur.
0: Flindy, flindy entrepreneur.
1: Flindy, like but that joke didn't come out like I wanted to, so Unbelievable. The dad jokes Unbelievable. Sometimes nowhere. and sometimes they Good work. thing we're not paying you for the <laughs> jokes today. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they work and most of the time they don't
0: that's amazing pat flynn if you don't know uh he runs smartpassiveincome.com one of these big massive amazing sites that's been helpful for people for a long time learning how to do indie entrepreneurship making businesses online and stuff like that and so today i wanted to get these two guys on the line here and record a conversation about what has changed in business online, small business, indie entrepreneurship, what has changed in the last 10 years? Because if we can figure out and be smart about what has been changing, maybe we that can help us understand what won't change in the future and what is likely to change. So we can be more informed about what time we're spending learning what kinds of things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and also just what patterns can we see yeah. given the things that have changed over the past 10 years? And... um we haven't had this conversation yet, so I'm really excited to have it because I know Pat has a ton of knowledge. Pat, what kinds of things have you done over the past 10 years? You've, you've been a blogger, oh, obviously, <laughs> and a podcaster, but I mean, you've, you've really covered a lot of ground.
1: I have. I've done app development to software development to professional blogging, podcasting, videos. Now I'm doing online course creation. I've done the webinar thing for a while, uh, email marketing, funnel automa- automation, you know, the whole gamut, really. Uh, It's it's funny when we talk about changes, because, you know, another question to ask is, well, what changed since last week? Because everything's changing so quickly. But I love this idea of, okay like in the grand scheme of things over the past 10 years, what has changed? Because we can notice and you're going to find out when you continue to listen to this. What hasn't changed? So you can continue to do those things that are worth doing that no matter what happens or what changes. You're still going to be uh you know in the driver's seat of your business and and for me like the big thing that that has changed especially when it's come to all these different design changes in my business and what my focus is on and especially when it comes to the funnels and stuff that i'm creating it's it's a lot of new shift into the mobile arena you know for business when i first started it was all web-based and we didn't really care about the smartphone and now it's Mm. all about the smartphone it seems and really understanding what that experience is like because Especially for first-time visitors, I mean, if you don't pay attention to that interaction and that first impression people have on their device related to your brand, well, they're not going to come back uh, again. And really, it all starts with with mobile, especially when you consider people watching videos or listening to podcasts, too, which often happens on, on the devices.
0: Yeah, like how many devices are we on right now? Mm-hmm. Well, we've got like six on the table right here. We've got six devices on the table. Yeah. Speaking of which, Doesn't I was thinking about living a life where I always had a phone in a bag somewhere and never on my person. Uh huh. Wouldn't that be kind of nice? Like you have to actually go get yeah, the phone yeah. to do I something. I have something that I'm actually going to do. Yeah. I'll grab my phone versus like, hey, I'm bored. What am I doing? How did I get my phone in my hand already?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for my phone to start telling me how many times I fondled it during the day <laughs> every day. I think it's, it's so
0: important for that kind re- of transparency. Pretty ridiculous these days. <laughs> that kind of transparency.
2: Probably doesn't it feel time. good to have a to to have a pro podcaster on with us? It today. Feels great. Pat is such a pro. It feels when, great. When did you start your show, Pat?
1: In July of
2: 2010. You were on the uh, podcasting bandwagon a long time before yeah. everybody else, which which was cool. And I remember it was kind of slow going for a little while. It was right. You just you just kept yeah. at it. And then it seemed like it all exploded around maybe 2013 or so.
1: Yeah. And then now all the big names are doing it. Uh, big brands are getting into podcasting too. But I still feel like podcasting, I mean, this is another thing that has changed the, the, the ease of use and, and the ease of the starting of the multimedia, you know, creating videos, creating yeah. podcasts. It's so much easier to do these days versus back then. I mean, when podcasting started uh back in like what 1999 or whatever it was only the geeks who knew how to code rss feeds and audio feeds into those now anybody just with a couple uh tools can set it up quite easily um, mm. but the thing that hasn't changed is that great content on those platform's podcast video and of course mm. blogging those those still rise to the top and you still need to no matter what it doesn't matter how easy it is to create you still need to create good stuff out there, uh, for everybody, but there is this shift since when I started to now more multimedia. So not just about blogging anymore. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. What What do you think, Corbett? Like, can you succeed as just a blogger now, or do you need that multimedia audio and video uh, video experience on top of that?
2: I don't know. I you know, I I, I think about that every once in a while because we mm. still teach blogging, yeah, and we still rely on blogging, yeah. but it's just one piece of of what we do and but i think about people like james clear who is primarily still writing. a blogger mm-hmm. yeah. doesn't really spend a lot of time in other places and and so you know i think you can i think i keep waiting for blogging to have a resurgence i feel yeah. like it will at some point we'll get back to writing because it is such a pure form of communication
0: mm-hmm. you know it's almost like why would there still be film when now there's podcasts, that's new. What You know, yeah. it's like, wait, no, there's a real art form to this thing. And if you look at the story of film, it's kind of matured over it's time. It's its right? own
2: medium, and yeah.
0: people appreciate it for what it
2: is. And some people consume things. I like to read, actually. Mm. I really don't like watching videos that much. Yeah. And if I'm doing something that be- makes
0: one of us <laughs> Okay, <laughs> seriously, seriously.
2: I mean, I watch videos for entertainment, but during my day, yeah. if I'm if I need to find something out, I'm really unlikely to hit play on a YouTube video yeah. and sit through 4 or 5 minutes of trying to get one little piece of information. I just want to find it in text somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know.
2: So, so I think different strokes for different folks. Okay,
0: I like this that we're already in this conversation and let, let me just do a real c- quick recap. Pat, you started us off with this idea of mobile and just to me this this large larger question about how are what are the devices or platforms through which someone is experiencing you your words your pictures your voice your whatever it is right and mobile is one way of looking at that it almost sounds like and these are almost like mobile is like its own medium yeah right the apps i i was on a site and i saw this guy some crazy doctor who's who's who I heard on the Ben Greenfield podcast who was like way into like energy healing and stuff and I like liked his stuff he was an older dude and he seemed like he really knew some stuff well his free opt-in was an app like instead of a PDF instead of a five it's like he has an app that you have to log in through a login and password And that's how he gets your email address. And then once you're in there, you have like five of these dope, like audio guided meditation training things as an app. And I was like, oh, interesting. What's it take to get an app approved in the app store? Mm -hmm. And what's the feeling of that? I'm like, I could probably tell my dad, I could send my dad a link to that app, right? Way easier than I could send him to the, (laughs) I'm thinking of my boomer, my boomer dad, but I'm just like. I could send him a link to that in the app store really quickly. And yeah. so this is another example of, of mobile being used and mobile being their kind of the medium yeah. almost for the medias that fit on top of it, right? Yeah,
2: and and um, what I wanted to do today is yeah. basically have a little back and forth where um, Pat offers something up like mobile. We talk about it, and yeah. then maybe we talk also about what that means for the future and where we think that's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, I might say one thing that has changed over the past 10 years is that, gosh darn it! If Pat Flynn's voice hasn't gotten smoother, butterier richer, and smoother, absolutely. I think and, we can all notice and that, it, and it just has more gravitas. Yeah, and I think what that means for the future is it's probably going to continue that way, and he's just going to be a regular newscaster. He's, by the and the next time thing he's, you know, he's
0: going to be he's going to be Charlie the Wolf. He's hey hey guys everybody what's up this is Pat.
2: Well, I Flynn. do live in
1: San Diego. This is where <laughs> they filmed Anchorman. So yes, it's yeah exactly. So you got somewhere. that been going studying for you. Anchorman. So that's so a like little. That. Of,
2: that's a little of the back and forth that
0: I was looking. I for. I like that. <laughs> 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 okay. So so um, do you want to do you want to add a little bit of actual rails to this conversation right now, or should we just like start flowing with mobile and and podcasting and like what Pat's mentioned, mobile podcasting, more multimedia? Is that possible? Well, and, yeah,
2: and we can we can like uh, maybe wrap up mobile just by asking Pat, like, what do you think that means for the future? Yeah. Where, where is that headed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think more and more people are going to be on their devices more often. I mean, we spend more time on there than anywhere else sometimes, even with our family. Um, Mm. So, like, I I love this example that uh, you gave, Chase, of this person who was using it specifically for integration into their business to collect email addresses. I envision more of that. And now that uh, augmented reality and virtual reality are going to come into play and I think make big waves maybe in the next 10 years. I wouldn't say in the next, you know, two or three. But at some point, the way we teach online is going to involve AR and VR quite heavily, I'm sure um, that'll only enhance that mobile experience even more. And, mm. um, you know, have that be a, a tool for us to not just collect email addresses, but to really make an impact and and, and teach in a way that we can really leave a long lasting impression on somebody. Mm.
2: Isn't that like exciting and scary at the same time that as business owners, we may have to start thinking about alternative reality or yeah. augmented reality or virtual yeah. reality. Like,
0: yeah.
2: I mean, I just remember learning how to edit a video like four years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty. Totally, it's coming fast, dude. Like, I mean, new technical, new technological changes are coming every single day, and processors are getting faster and faster. I mean, it's coming, and so I think it's just important to at least talk about and 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 at least just consider how might we use it, even though we don't know what the tools are going to be exactly. Um, If we can be a little bit ahead of the game, there, just like when I came into podcasting or you know, when Gary Vee came onto YouTube with Wine Library TV back in the day, uh, if you can be quick to jump on those platforms or at least spend a little bit of of time, maybe 10 to 20% of your business exploring new things like that, um, that'll give you an edge as we move forward.
2: Yeah, is that how you look at these new things? I mean, you famously have had a philosophy of being everywhere for a long time and um, you really have spent a lot of time developing yourself and your brand on multiple platforms in a way that a lot of other people haven't been able to do. So I'm curious, like, do you look at it as an investment? You decide that, hey, I'm going to set aside five or 10 percent or whatever of my time working on this new platform just to feel it out and to see if it goes somewhere, even though sometimes they don't end up turning into something.
1: Yes, hmm. exactly that. I mean, that's that's Gary V's philosophy with uh, spending time on new things, his investment into what was Anchor. Anchor has kind of changed over the years. And, you know, his involvement in Snapchat and Musical.ly and all these other things, um, they are just a small percentage of what he what he's focusing on. It's very similar with me, just so that if something were to take off, I can be a little bit ahead of the game. But I'm still using most of my time and effort to master the things that I've started. And with this thing about be, being everywhere, I mean, when you and I uh, connected back in the day, Corbett, that was my, my shtick. Like, hey, be everywhere, be on all the platforms, video, audio and written contents that you don't have. Uh, so nobody has any excuse not to have you in their life. But when I taught that, I think everybody misunderstood it as you have to be on all those things at the same time at the beginning, which then had everybody doing all of them in sort of a not so good kind of way. And, mm-hmm. and I would prefer that you stick with one. Like you, we were talking about earlier, like with James, like he is mastered and is, and, and is owning the written form. And that's where his audience is going to go to. And he could divide a little bit of his time into these other platforms, but that would perhaps compromise just what he's earned uh, with himself for written content. So stick with one, master it, get it to a point where you can begin to automate it and then move on to the next platforms then and only then. Mm. Right, right. Instead
2: of trying to like just start off with mastering eight at
0: once, which is impossible, Right. 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 right? Totally. All right, let's get back into this we've got mobile yep the the way that that looks for the future is a little bit like i love this I love that you bring up v r Pat and augmented reality because basically right now we're at like the the point of the conversation where if you haven't done it, if you haven't had a, a like a virtual reality experience in the last year. Or so I'd say. I think anything before that could be a little too old mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the last year or so, like even just someone's home VR that they put together as a, as a kit computer is capable of completely blowing your mind. Yeah. Going like, oh my god, it's coming.
2: Yeah. And if you haven't had an experience, you probably will in the next eighteen yeah. months or
0: so. Yeah. And and it, I would recommend that you look for it. Yeah. <laughs> go it look for exciting. those experiences because, like Pat was saying, you can look at the future that way and go like, this is clearly coming. It's we've been talking about it for like. Fifty years, yeah, and it's now the technology is actually coming. And
2: I don't think Pat or any of us are saying you need to go invest all of your time and energy on this yet, unless unless that's your Mm. business, you're building a game or something.
0: Yeah,
2: Um, but you know, as a as a typical information product builder like most of us are it's unlikely that vr is going to be a big thing for you overnight it's just one of those things that you might want to keep your eye
0: on Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so what's next corbett give me one of yours all right
2: so i i got one here which is this idea that delivering a product
0: Mm -hmm.
2: whether you know mostly i'm talking about information-based products but also physical products But delivering a product is so much easier than it used to be. Mm. I was thinking back to creating online courses like five, six, seven years ago. And back then, I remember having to build a new site for every course that I wanted to launch. Mm. I had to create my own, like, you know, or develop our own login stuff, membership stuff, embed our own videos, connect our own shopping cart, payment solution all that kind of stuff was like from scratch. And that was just part of, if we wanted to launch a course, We had to spend the month or so, like getting all the technology ducks in order and stuff. And and similarly with um, shipping a physical product. Now it's like you just send it to Amazon and Mm -hmm. then they'll send it wherever it needs to go for you, right? Yeah. You just kind of click a couple of buttons and it's done. And with an information product, we've got Teachable and Thinkific and Udemy and platforms like that where you can create an online course in one day. Mm. It really makes the work of creating an online course the content development and yeah. not the technology. Similarly, you've got Memberful and and all kinds of other plugins to create a membership site like yeah. we have with Fizzle. So it's just gotten so much easier. And I'm I'm sure, Pat, you've experienced the same thing. You've noticed that as well, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why it took me so long to create online courses is just because I didn't want to deal with all the technological uh, challenges because affiliate marketing was a lot easier. Hey, guys, here's a product. Go through this link. Bada bing, bada boom, you're done creating a product, it was so much harder. And because I was doing so well with affiliate marketing, I didn't feel the need to Mm. have my own products. But a couple things happened. One, like you said, just the technology is so much easier now to create these things. I mean, I created my first Teachable course in uh, two days, completely, Mm. Um, and that really gave me the momentum to start to build more courses down the road. But the second thing that happened was just realizing how important it was actually to create the course for the benefit of my audience, I was actually not serving them as well as I could as a result of my own brain getting in the way with this whole, you know, should I create a course or should I not create a course thing. Mm. Um, I I I was told by a few friends that you know I was letting my audience down by not doing that, and I didn't understand that at first. But what I realized later was that my life has changed as a result of certain courses that I that that I took way back in the day when it was very difficult to create courses, but now that it's so easy, I should be doing this, and I'm all, I'm just letting my audience down by not doing it because. It's that investment into a program. It's the, the hand-holding through that process that could really help a person finally do the thing mm. that they've been meaning to do. Yeah. And now I'm like just kicking myself because I, I, I wish I'd gotten started earlier and fought through all the technological kind of challenges. But now it's not a challenge whatsoever because, like you said, these tools are just available It's plug and play.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I I always looked at those technical challenges not as a hurdle, but as in a way, a, a competitive advantage. Like totally. if you were willing to go through that effort yeah. to put up a course, yeah. it meant that there wasn't as much competition back then.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the other cool thing about the fact that because it's easier to create the course, you can spend more time making the course experience a little bit better. True. And what, what, one, of, one of the things I've noticed related to courses and delivering is is the actual experience of that delivering of the product to the customer, meaning the onboarding process, I've noticed mm-hmm. just with certain products, like the onboarding experience is just so beautiful now. And, and we perhaps we've gotten a little bit of inspiration from Apple and how nice it is to open one of those boxes and go through that experience of opening an Apple-related product, right, with packaging. But even in online courses, online products, I mean, the onboarding experience can be heightened through tools like – I use a tool called Bonjoro, which I use to get a notification whenever I get a new customer so that I can just – on my mobile device send a 30 second video through that app immediately to that person thanking them for being there and it really establishes the fact that they are in the right place that they're getting their money's worth and it's just gotten like you said so much easier to have a better onboarding experience after that deliverable uh, that after that deliverable is sent
2: yeah and and really like in, as far as your customers are concerned the fact that you in you know 5 years ago would have had to spend a bunch of time on the tech is time better spent for them now yeah. because you get to do things like that. You get to focus on that individual experience of totally. in making your product better instead of on just all the crap that it takes to get the product out there.
0: Alright, so this being so, I'm curious uh, about what hasn't changed about delivering a product, Corbett. From your point of view, the technology has made it easier, mm-hmm. but what ha- what's still the same?
2: Well, the true challenge of an information product is solving a problem for people in a way that is easily digestible and that encourages them to take action, to actually receive that solution, whatever it is. Yeah, And I don't think that's changed. I mean, I think some of us have gotten better at it. Like I know in Fizzle, we have a very regimented process for creating any content, frankly, but specifically creating a course. We go through a really long, it's kind of grueling and arduous sometimes, yeah. The the hours of brainstorming and answering like 50 questions mm-hmm. that help us understand the problem, get inside the mind of the person who's going to be taking that course, and then to structure the course in a way that is, um, like I said, easily digestible. Mm. A really good episode for this, if people are interested in this, is the episode we did most recently with Vanessa Van Edwards, Mm. where she talks about the lengths that she goes through to make a course as effective as possible. Because the saddest thing that is still true about online courses is the drop-off rate is just tremendous. A lot of people sign up for a course, very few people end up finishing that course, and fewer still end up doing the work that it takes to receive the benefit that the course originally promised. So that hasn't changed, and I don't think that will ever change, uh, except that we can have some ideas, some better ideas of curriculum design and what that means and, and how best to deliver a course.
0: By the way, that's episode 235 for anybody out there who's looking for it. Pat, anything to add on that on what hasn't changed
1: in the product development cycle? Yeah, I mean, the successful courses, the su- successful products out there, they're the ones that transform their customers. That's it's—it really That's what it all comes down to, that transformation. When you become clear on what that transformation is when you're creating a course, you're going to be more successful. It's going to be easier for you to sell because you know exactly where people are before they get it and where they're going to end up afterwards. It's very clear for the customer on the other end whether or not it's something that is just right for them or not mm. and it's all about that transformation so that will always reign at the top of what makes a course successful or not uh you know usefulness transformation just the effectiveness of it uh the the digestibility which is what again why i love these delivering tools because they you know especially like teachable thinkific and others they are structured in a way for maximum uh, teachability mm-hmm And there's no work on your end to try and figure out, okay, well, how do I structure this thing? It's all about the outline. It's
2: true. And they, they do, they do build in some best practices, Mm -hmm. which is helpful to someone instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time. I'm curious, Pat, um, thinking about the fact that there's think, uh, you know, thinkific and teachable and Udemy and all these platforms and creative live, there has been an explosion in online courses out there, similar to what we saw, I think, Mm. with podcasting a few years ago. My feeling is that online courses are probably going to get saturated here in the next year or two. Yeah. There's just so many people creating them now, and it it has been a really great way to earn revenue from people, but it seems like there's just so many out there. What What's going to happen Like when there are a bazillion courses out there? What's that going to mean for an individual course creator?
1: Yeah, well, I think that is a true general statement. However, in certain niches, there's going to be definitely room for more online courses because certain niches are going to be saturated, certain niches are not. Um, But either way, I mean, the more courses that are out there, the more likely, you said that, you know, they're not just going to be as effective uh, in selling and also offering that transformation just because there's so many options. So what I feel like it is what the course creator or the person who is teaching offers in addition to that course or other than that course, that's really what's going to help them stand out. I feel like there's going to be, like you said, the shift toward, okay, there's going to be a lot of courses now. We're going to get back into... Coaching, right? It's like mm-hmm. you, it, it comes in cycles, right? You mm. you you create a membership site or a course because you want to scale the teaching, but then when it scales too much, you notice that you know your new opportunities are when you scale back and go, you know, one to few. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there's going to be opportunities for, and I've been starting to do this a little bit already because I have noticed, especially in the space that I'm in, uh, teaching entrepreneurs, you know, it's definitely saturated for sure. So what have I been doing? I've been offering in-person live workshops in San Diego for some of the courses that I'm creating. And people are taking me up on that offer because they know that they're gonna get a lot more time and attention from the instructor myself versus when they are in a course with hundreds of other people. And I've been seeing people like Michael Hyatt and a number of other people offer these workshops uh, as well on top of their online courses for those people who either A, don't have enough time to go through the online course, or just don't have the patience and want everything in just a two-day or a three-day workshop. Yeah, so that I was my like-
0: that was my question. I'm, I'm I've, I've never really taken an online course, but except for one. And it was about psychedelics. So that was weird, but like, (laughs) but (laughs) for multiple reasons, for multiple reasons, but like this, uh, like who are the people taking the courses? Right. I go straight to YouTube and I'm looking for things there immediately. I'm a total hacker that way. I want to put together and cobble together the information that I want. Yeah. Right. And then I'll go like, all right, if there's some published book on a specific thing that Mm -hmm. I'm interested in, but I'm just not interested in books unless it's about philosophy or religion or something like that. Because it's like, dude, you wrote this. Like the first twenty pages are going to be your intro story. It's like it's like so formulaic. All of these kinds yeah. of things, right? And then I'm thinking about all the people inside of fizzle who are taking the courses. And I think like in a membership, uh, mo- in a membership model, I can, it makes sense to me cause I've been a part of Linda, right? Yeah. Where I was like, Hey, let's learn final cut pro 10, right? Let's get into that and get what? And then there's a handful of courses on yeah. it in there. And some of them are more specific and focused on this on adding text. And others of them are just like the big, the big picture and you get kind of lost in those. Yep. But like the question I'm having in my mind is in the future, you know when I think of an online course I think of like um one of these uh boss boss lady podcasts I can't remember which one where they have like a Trello course. Mm-hmm. It's how to use Trello for your business planning or something like boss, that for Mom,
1: product d- uh, Dana Mall stuff.
0: There you go. That yep. kind of stuff, right? Where it's like how to use Trello a specific tool right. for this kind of application. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is interesting if it's if it's relatively quick and there's some there's some templates and stuff like that. What I'm really getting is like the templates and a little bit of a of customized instruction for my more specific application. And and I, and I, I think
2: that that maybe um <clears throat> related to what Pat was saying about how some niches aren't saturated. So, yeah. you know, teaching a course about blogging now might be hard to stand out uh-huh. because there's so many and it's been done a million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there are a lot of tools coming up. In fact, you know, a theme running through what we're talking about today is, is, is probably going to be, if we haven't talked about it already, all the new tools that have come out yeah. over the years. And every tool that comes out is an opportunity to build education around. Mm-hmm. We had a great... Um, Blog interview with Joseph Michael, who has a course called Learn mm-hmm. Scrivener Fast, mm-hmm. and he made an entire business out of that. Another friend teaching of ours, one
0: specific tool, yep. Scrivener, to people who wanted to use it to write books and stuff.
2: Exactly, and another friend of ours, Brett Kelly made an entire business out of teaching how to use Evernote, which yeah. was a really popular tool at the time. Yeah. So I, I think that's always going to be there if you're first, you know, mm-hmm. or, or if you if you move early. And that relates back to the theme that Pat brought up earlier, which is spending a little bit of your time investing in new platforms. Yeah. And those may be platforms that you're going to use for your business. They may be platforms
0: that you see an opportunity to teach other people eventually. Got it. Yeah. Pat, anything to, okay, let's jump on to another one of yours. Actually, hold that thought real quick. Our podcast today is brought to you by FreshBooks. All right, and if you don't know this, FreshBooks is small business accounting software designed for small businesses, especially for all you freelancers out there. There's a ton of you. It helps millions of service-based business owners make everyday invoicing and accounting extremely easy. Along with the invoicing clients professionally and beautifully, FreshBooks also makes keeping track of your expenses, ridiculously simple. No more boxes full of receipts. So FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all of our listeners, totally free, right now. You don't even need to add a credit card. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle, okay? FreshBooks.com slash fizzle and enter fizzle. In the "How did you hear about us?" section, our thanks to FreshBooks for supporting independent business and the Fizzle Show. All right, Pat, let's let's uh, take another one from you. What's something that you've seen change over the past decade in online business?
1: By the way, I use FreshBooks. I love FreshBooks.
0: Mm. There you go. Um, yeah, they, look at that. They, they
1: have a sorry, uh, th- this was not paid for, mm. but um, <laughs> they they have this thing where you can see who has yet to open one of your invoices, which makes follow up super yeah. super easy. Anyway. I just it. wanted to mention that. Um, so one thing that I've noticed is, you know, I wanna go and dive into social media a little bit. I remember when I started my Facebook page back in 2009, it was like, I need to get as many fans as I can. And every time I sent a message, it went to every single fan. Well, I think you know where this is going now. Now algorithms have throttled the amount of messages that actually get to the people who had liked or had become a fan of my page on Twitter on YouTube and, and other platforms. There are algorithms that are controlling how we connect with our fans. And that's been a very scary. And now we're in a kind of pay-to-play situation Yeah, in, in social media a lot of times.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's I think that's well said. And it's something that we learned uh, we all, I mean, like, once, once Instagram and Facebook started really ratcheting it up, I feel like if Facebook's really been our main teacher on this, yeah, you know, yeah. and and they have all the right in the world to do it, right? This is the same thing that, uh, what NBC does, yeah, right? They're like, hey, pay to play, but you're going to pay by your attention to these advertisements, yeah, right? And those advertisers are all paying for everything, yada yada yada. I, I, I find that it's. Like this is even taken to the next level, Pat. Have you? You must have been messing around with some live video stuff like we have, and Mm -hmm. finding that it's very. You know, there's a lot of like. It's definitely an interesting opportunity because you can do live video and now I'm doing live video. Hey, this is chase Reeves coming at you live here on the scene where something, something's just happened and it's doing this sort of thing. And and think about like the news that's possible with this kind of thing, how a kid can literally like have a news desk and be playing, you know, last week tonight with Jamie Oliver. You can just do that. And your network is Facebook. Mm -hmm. Your network is Facebook, right? And, Um, And that's working right now, but it's not going to work necessarily in the future where you will have to pay for it. But what's interesting, this being so, you can can become aware of what those waves are. Right now it's clear that video and live stuff in Facebook is a wave that they're trying to promote. And so you can ride a little bit of that wave, and a lot of businesses are made in those waves. When they're just made at the right time. Yeah. You know, for that, for that platform right. to do that thing. And partly because
2: uh, consumers, <laughs> to mm. use lack of a better term, are a lot of times hungry and curious about those new platforms, yeah. those new technologies, whatever they are. So there's a lot of demand and there's not a lot of producers yeah. necessarily creating things to fulfill that demand. So you're right. You can, you can ride that wave and reach a lot of people to begin with. Yeah. The, the danger though, Is and what this means for the future is this is going to continue happening. It's and we're just building their platform for them. But what it means is you want to make sure that you don't place all of your business eggs in that one basket because things can dramatically change. We saw this the first place this happened probably was Google. You know, a lot of people built their entire business based on manipulating the search results. Yeah. And then Google would make an update, and it would wipe out the amount of traffic you were getting to your site. Mm -hmm. And so people realized, ah, I need to make more direct connections with my customers. And we all thought that social media were those direct connections, but it turns out that those connections aren't so strong either because, like you said, we're building other people's platforms for them, and they can decide eventually that, hey, we should be making money on all these connections that people are making.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so Pat, what are you doing, or have you done, like, like has this been a big, uh, I guess this is the question I really want to ask, has this been a big shift for your business and how you're doing things to sort of account for the, the way that Facebook, Instagram, and others uh, are shifting their algorithms to kind of enforce a pay-to-play kind of mode?
1: Sure, well, I always had the idea that this was going to happen at some mm-hmm. point in one way, shape, or form, which is why I had, like Corbett said, never put all my eggs into one basket. As yeah. I was building my Facebook page, I was also building up my Twitter and Instagram, et cetera. But all of those platforms now have algorithms that are throttling. Um, although, I, like you said, Chase, I, I have noticed that currently live video is what those algorithms are favoring, especially on, on Facebook. So if you want to build a following on Facebook, um, stop posting, start going live, really. And the way that I've been really battling this is something that I've done since 2010, and that's building my email list. Because mm-hmm. you're always going to yeah. have control over that for the most part. yeah. Um, and, and, and one thing that I've actually done to take an even bigger precaution is monthly I've been downloading a CSV file of my entire list just in case, just yeah. so I have it. Um, yeah. So I could set up shop somewhere else if, for example, the email service provider I'm using... Go somewhere else or something happens to it yeah. so you know, or, you know or the,
0: Russia happens to, to all of our yeah, email servers right
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly so like the, the email list is, is the thing that's not changing and yes, there are posts every single year that say email is dying this is the new big thing but no it's mm. going to stick around and I don't foresee anything changing the primary mode of you know intimate and personal conversation such that you can connect with somebody who is somewhat a stranger on the other end like with email. Hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. No. Totally. Now, Speaking of which, like, like, is there? Can we focus specifically on email? Is it? Do you guys well, have you noticed any shifts? What yeah, do you say, so, Corey? So that
2: was, that was my next one. Actually, um, just thinking about things that have changed in the past ten years. Email specifically, automation, customization, segmentation—all yes. of these things today are so much more sophisticated than they used to be. Like way back when, I remember most people basically just sent RSS to email campaigns, right? We all had a blog. We figured out how to connect that blog up to our email service provider. Every time we wrote a post, it would get sent out to somebody. And then some people maybe would send broadcast campaigns every once in a while if you had a launch or something coming up. That was pretty much what email marketing was just five years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then there were tools like Infusionsoft and others that were a little heavy-handed. Most of us didn't jump on board, but we heard that they had Automation, right? Yeah, or yeah, segmentation totally. abilities and these and, big
0: funnels, all oh, this is big graph yeah. diagram thing. It's like if this, then that. You're like, wait, yeah. okay, that's interesting. So, yeah. how
1: much does it cost? Oh, never mind. Yeah, I jumped on board, and it was way too much for me. I, I kind of abandoned ship.
0: Oh rapidly. yeah, right. But now, yeah,
2: automation is so sophisticated, and a lot of those older tools are kind of falling behind because companies like Drip and ConvertKit are really leading the way in not just automation. But also segmentation and branching and events and tags and all this stuff that really gets at the goal of trying to customize the experience that each subscriber has on your list, so -hmm. that it whatever you're sending speaks to them more specifically than it would if you were just sending an email to 100,000 people at once. So that you can maximize sales and conversions. It's Mm -hmm. the personalization,
1: really. That's that's coming up and making it. I mean, personalization happened. This has been happening online for you know, decades, but now it's something that we all have access to through email. And I've noticed a significant bump in everything from open rates to click-through rates to sales as a result of having a little bit more personalized experience per each user through segmentation, through tagging, through actions, through triggers based on sometimes not just what they do in their emails and which emails they open but also what they do now on the website. This is kind of the next phase of personalization is the ease of use of actually understanding what people do on your website and then how you can send them a different experience, which will likely, maybe in four or five years, change what people see on your website, uh, which is kind of happening now, but it's still a little bit too complicated for most people to grasp.
2: Yeah, that and that's the. I think that's the future. Brent, we yeah. interviewed Brennan Dunn recently, uh, which will be on the Fizzle Show at some point. We don't know yeah. when. He, that guy is just. He's awesome. yeah. He's he's living in the future already, mm-hmm. right? And he's building yeah. a product that will help you customize your website based on what you know about each visitor, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. Also, I have to say, I saw uh, finally uh, the ConvertKit automation builder, and it is just gorgeous. Yeah. And you could do a lot of really powerful things. And and now that's part of a product that you can pay as little as like $30 a month for. Yeah. Whereas back in the day, there was this big, complicated, expensive thing. Totally. And now it's just kind of trickling down and, and getting more and more powerful in the hands of everybody. Totally. But I don't think most people, the average business owner, has any clue how to use that stuff yet. Yeah. So yeah. I think in the next several years, you're going to see a wave of education mm. about how to use those things. Mm. And then- To continue on that in the future, you're just going to see more and more data being pumped into not just your email tool, but every tool that you use for your business into your, your shopping cart into your payment processing, you know, and, and you're going to be able to pump all that data in there so that you can customize the experience at every step along the way, not just with email.
0: Yeah. No, that's killer. By the way, if you guys want to check out uh, ConvertKit, which Pat Flynn is an advisor of. Pat, you're like an advisor role to that company, aren't you?
1: I, I am. I that, have like some tiny percentage of the company as That's amazing. That, which is cool. I mean, I, I love it, and it, I, I wouldn't be that if I didn't love the tool. It's great.
0: Yeah, so if you want to check it out, you, you can get a few uh, free weeks on Fizzle when you go to ConvertKit.com slash Fizzle, yep. or Fizzle.co slash ConvertKit. Yeah, you can do either one. I think you can do either one. Yeah. I believe so. So what's next, Corbin? What's your next better, one? Better there? yet,
2: you can go to Fizzle.co slash email and get a free seven-day course that we created uh, a couple oh, of yeah. months ago yeah. on how to grow your email list. And that is a great course. In fact, we we had uh, somebody inside of Fizzle take that course. Remember, he ended, yes. up, he ended up like, 10xing his email list in a week or something <laughs> in
0: literally five days yeah. of the course that so, was amazing. fizzle.co slash email. Okay, Corbett, what you got next?
2: Let's uh, hear it. I, I went last, Pat. I'm curious okay. to hear what, what else you have.
1: The way that teams have collaborated with each other has had a dramatic change over mm-hmm. the past ten years, from mm-hmm. email and Skype, maybe Skype for some teams, to now full on integrated systems within Slack. And Trello and CoSchedule and other tools related to whatever it is that you do. I mean, Slack definitely changed the game. You guys use Slack, right?
2: Yeah, uh, we, did. We're, we did. We're 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 developing a, an internal tool which duplicates a lot of that. But oh, we, great! That's even we, better. We did use Slack and we loved it as yeah. as a team. Yeah, yeah, and and, just, and we 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 also use Trello as well. We've used Asana, mm. and um, you're you're totally right. I mean, we didn't use any of those for a long time, and it was always kind of you know it was just text or email or in fact when we started we sent a ton of emails Mm -hmm. and i remember what a nightmare it was every morning to wake up and to try to kind of piece together the conversation that that was happening in somebody else's mind as they were like sending you these 20 emails right? yeah and uh and now uh, the the other thing i've noticed pat um not to step on your toes uh, and i'd love to hear the rest of where you're headed with that
1: i got tiny toes but Mm -hmm. um
2: The the other thing that I've noticed is when we work as a team, oftentimes we're using multiple tools at the same time during Mm. the same conversation. Like we'll be on a Slack call and then we'll maybe send something to one another in some other text tool that we're using. And then maybe we're also like looking at a a Trello project plan and all this is happening like in real time. And then maybe we open up like a a Dropbox Dropbox paper paper, document and Mm -hmm. we're, collaboratively editing a document. So all that has changed a lot and it's made running a remote business so much easier. Your team's all remote, right, Pat?
1: They, They are. It's made running it much easier, but also building it much easier too. I think we have a lot more opportunities now, especially as solopreneurs, to consider how to use these tools to actually start expanding our team because there are people who are all over this world, who can help you scale your business and help you take time away from the things that you don't necessarily need to do yourself. Mm. And these tools just make it so much easier for us uh, to, to do that. Um, and where I see this going is, you know, I'm starting to see a little bit of it. Um, but now, you know, things like Voxer, I've, I've noticed a lot of teams use Voxer to have voice conversations that are kind of uh, organized in a in a Slack similar kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, a lot of video. You know, similar to how there are tools like Jing and ScreenFlow to create, uh, you know, actual videos to show people how to do something. I think that's going to be a little bit more integrated into these tools now. Is, is, is are, are videos and instructions that are more visual uh, versus just text only. It's taking a similar role to like blogging. You know, it's just text only at first, and now it's going into multimedia. I see the same thing related to team collaboration and the organization of. Uh, just how, how teams work together.
2: Yeah, I send a lot of, um quick little screen capture videos using just cloud app yeah. you can record uh, like up to 60 seconds or something of mm. your screen and whenever you're trying to like describe something especially if you're building software yeah. trying to describe this little problem that's happening it's so much easier just to go dit, 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 and like record <laughs> your screen for
0: 15 seconds send it off and there you go I'm so oftentimes sitting next to Corbin and I hear him just go dit, 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 and I'm <laughs> and like, oh. like oh screen, <laughs> and screen and capture screen recording yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's great okay so we got a few more minutes left let's, uh, let's kick it into maybe uh, how many more do we have I'm hoping there's like a lot more but I don't know is there just like one or two more each I've got a couple more Pat I got a couple more we, okay you're next you're next okay all right,
2: all right um I've noticed just in general there is a lot more competition okay we we alluded to this earlier and I think mm-hmm. Pat's answer to this might be yes in mainstream, topics there's more competition but maybe not so much in certain niches and maybe that's the name of the game yeah but just in general especially uh podcasting we talked about that a little bit there's Mm -hmm. so much more competition there in social media there's just so many voices on social media and in the inbox as well and i'd say over the years we've seen a slow steady decline in engagement mm-hmm. in the inbox just because people have so many messages coming from so many different yeah. you know, voices and brands and things that yours might get diluted down. And, and it just means that your, your brand, your message, your content, your headlines, all of that yes. has to be really on point yeah. in order to stand out. And the cool thing is so many more people are online and on social media that if you have a message that matters it can really catch fire and reach a ton of people really quickly, but it all has to start with getting people's attention and focusing on something that they really care about. So sort of like we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, the saturation of online courses and the ease of creating them that really the name of the game becomes the content Mm -hmm. and not the technology, the platform or whatever. I think the same is true of feeling like there's more competition. Well, the name of the game now becomes being really good at the thing that you're promising the brand is promising
1: yeah totally And, and i think the first interaction that people have with your thing whatever your thing is has to be spot on like you said the headline to that email or that first blog post that they read of yours when they get to your website for the first time that has to be such a great experience because if it's any less then they're going to go elsewhere because mm-hmm. there's somebody else who's spending a lot of time with that first impression. So I, 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 I love that. Um, I, I love that that was one of yours because I, I think it's just, it's so important. I mean, there's so much competition, but at the same time, because there's so much competition, if you have a specialized area of expertise in that space, you can actually use that competition to your advantage as yeah. potential partners. You can become somebody who is a guest on, a, on your com- competitor's show because you have this specialty that they do not, a, a more subdefined niche within that bigger niche that you're in. Yep, um, absolutely. The, you know, so so niche down even further or even if you're talking, you, you know, you're in your brand and you're, you're talking generally about it. I mean, spend a month honing down on just one particular tiny little space within it and become an expert in that just for a few moments so that your competitors will notice and want to have you on board to talk about that thing a little bit more. That way you can use that big influx of of competition to your advantage
0: yeah love it love
1: it all right pat what's your next one well on a related note i was going to say there's there's this uh it, it's it's become easier to create the super niched super fan mm. kevin kelly wrote an article back in you know 2004 2006 whatever called thousand true fans right and it was easier said than done right to create a thousand true fans who can help support you and your business, your artwork, your music, your your entrepreneurial endeavors. Now, it's so much easier to build those fans because of the tools and the courses and the content that we're creating online. It's so much easier to do that now. And you're noted, you're starting to see now in really tiny niches. I mean, I even felt a little bit of this in my architecture space when I was creating exam material for people in the architecture space for one particular small niche exam, I became a mini celebrity in that space Mm. because that was my specialty and it becomes even now so much easier to be the go-to person in your space. I think that's really what this comes down to is it's now more than ever easier to become a go-to person, but it has to have that um, more defined space within a bigger niche in order for that to happen. But you can build a small group of raving superfans who can really support you and lift you up and take you forward into a bigger generalized niche from there. Mm. So I, there, I, th- I think it's just easier to do that now.
2: There are so many micro celebrities out there that are yeah. bigger than God to people. And yet you've never heard of them. Yeah, totally. you know? The other day, there's a theater by our house yesterday. Actually we were walking by and um, there were a couple of tour buses outside. We noticed like four 14 year olds or something kind mm-hmm. of like nervously waiting around to maybe see who was in the yeah, tour bus. Yeah. And then we, we walked, we walked uh, away and then we came back from lunch like an hour later. And now there was a line forming at the front of the door. There were probably 15, 20 people in line. And uh-huh. this is at like 1130, like yeah. after lunch or, yeah. or, or brunch. And um, we were like, wow, those girls are going to be in line for a long time. Mm-hmm. What the hell is this all about? Yeah. And we looked up on the marquee. It was something called Digitour. Okay. And Digitour is basically like social media celebrities on tour. They they bring like six probably YouTube stars or something That's from city amazing. to city. <laughs> and and it's it's like, you know, these girls are watching, you know, like what would have been a punk band in the yeah. in the nineties or something. Yeah. Now they're going to see YouTube celebrities. At
0: the yeah. Hawthorne Theater. At the Hawthorne Theater. Which yeah. normally it is cool. playing metal shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's amazing. It man. was fantastic. Crazy. Yeah. So that micro celebrity, this idea that like you can become more than ever, a person who is known to people if you have a specific enough niche or a, a, a loud enough calling card, I guess, in yeah. some ways, right? Which
2: yeah. which you always could do with writing or with music, yeah. in a way. There were yeah. always niches and subgenres, and the cool kids always knew about those authors and those musicians. Yeah. Yeah. But now you can do it on just Twitter or Instagram yeah. or YouTube. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next and, and last point here, was that people now run entire businesses on social media platforms. Mm. And I think this has changed. We didn't see this. It wasn't, you know, as if um, 10 years ago. In fact, 10 years ago, none of these things existed. I mean, Facebook was around, but... (laughs) I, twitter was just getting started and and so yeah. so but now you see like on instagram for example you'll see someone who has a massive number of followers and they basically run their entire business based on that totally. platform. yeah and uh it's not the norm by any means and it's something that we're discovering all the time you know mm-hmm. oh who knew pinterest was so huge well yeah. it is you yeah. know and yeah. people spend a lot of time there I don't know what it means about in the future. I think probably you'll see this more. Mm-hmm. I'm always leery about it because of the fact that you don't control that relationship yeah. with the, your followers and, yeah, and totally. somebody could take it away from you. But if you get big enough, I think that you have some sway over what Instagram does or what YouTube does. If you're big enough and you have enough followers, those platforms then have an incentive to make sure that you're still popular and they might even do some work to promote you on those on those um, platforms. So. You know, uh, new social channels are going to be invented. As we said, if you invest time and and grow on those, you might have an advantage. You might grow a bigger following than most people just because you were first. Yeah. And, you know, I would um, gladly take that as an option yeah. And then figure out what to do next, right? Totally. So I wouldn't shy away from it. If you find yourself becoming popular on one of these uh platforms, I wouldn't shy away from the popularity. Yeah. But just always be thinking about how do I parlay this into something that can be around for 10 or 20 years as opposed to whenever totally. that platform closes, you're
0: screwed.
1: Totally. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Pat, what's your last one? So, last one. Uh, this kind of stems on the fact that Corvette, you and I haven't really connected in a long time. Yeah, actually, let yet yeah, here we are at the end of twenty seventeen talking and having a great conversation, like we well, like we used to do. Um, and and you know, since the last ten years, uh, since starting business, a lot of people have come, a lot of people have gone, um, but there are still those few people who are still around who are doing very well, and it's because they are honest because they are authentic and genuine and know who they are and um you know you are one of those people corbett you too, chase i mean uh it's, it's just one of those things that when when you when when you know you're going to listen to corbett and chase and the fizzle show you know what you're going to get you're going to get quality information you're going to be entertained and when you know who you are and you utilize those superpowers to help you with your business i mean you can't lose yeah and, and i think Sorry, go ahead. no, no, go, go ahead.
2: i was I was going to say also, I think when you come to it with the right expectations, when you were saying people come and people go, I think when people go, a lot of times it's because they came with expectations that they were just going to to strike it rich really quickly, right? yeah, and uh, and then they realized, oh, this is really hard work. yeah and those backstories about people like Pat Flynn, who had to work at this for a long time. I remember when I first found your blog, Pat, in, Two thousand nine or something. Uh, I think Adam Baker actually recommended it to me. He's mm-hmm. like, "You got to check out this guy Pat," and it, it was it was awesome. But I, I seem to remember seeing like your little RSS read reader counter or whatever, mm-hmm. like in the, in the sidebar. the remember How hard
0: that was to get working, man! It, yeah, it, well, feed
2: burner, it, feed burner, <laughs> and then it, and I seem to remember it saying like you know five or six thousand subscribers or something, which was tremendous at the time. But it yeah. was nothing like it is today. And you certainly weren't earning like, you know, a fraction of what you are today. And mm-hmm. I think people just don't realize how much work and, and effort you have to put in and how original you have to be and how dedicated. And you how fine
0: you have to be with where you are right now. Yeah. Right. Because it's almost like you, like you don't, you almost like you have this goal of like this destination you want to be. But you're always going to be disappointed if you keep that too close on your vision board. Like, mm-hmm. Let your vision board be about, this is what we get into at the journaling course, don't put that on your vision board. It's not the way it rolls. You need to put on, how do you want today to feel? Right. What are the activities and habits you want to be building today that are going to head you in that direction, probably blow you right past that destination. Yeah. But if you're just holding yourself to, I want this many followers or this many subscribers, then it's like, dude you're going to be in a world of just disappointment or dissatisfaction or you're going to hit it. And then it's even worse. Cause now what you're just yeah. going to, you're going to make a bigger number. Yeah. And then, and then one day you'll ask yourself, what the hell am i been doing this whole time? Yeah. And,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, frankly, if, if I were going to set goals for the next 10 years, it would be to be here, to be doing yeah. something that we're doing, to yeah, continue yeah, to be you. a positive influence on people's lives who are trying to change something that we care about yeah. in this case, entrepreneurship. But um, You know, I think too many people are so focused on the next month or the next three months or the next six months or whatever that they, uh, when they don't hit those goals, they end up just bailing completely and moving on to something else when yeah. they might have been on to something. Yeah. You know?
0: All right. I got one question for you guys in closing here. Okay. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to let you know what the rules of the question are. Then I'm going to recap all the things that we said while you think about it. Okay. And cool. then I'm going to ask for your answer. So the question I have for you, Bar. Pat Flynn, if you had to pick one medium for the rest of your life, now, here's where your medium options are. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, blogging, podcasting, YouTubing. Uh, I know these are not necessarily apples for apples, but thinking about maybe those, I don't know if you have another one that comes to mind, like Pinterest or something like that. Think about that for a second. Let me recap what these were. First of all, we talked about mobile, how it significantly changed the game, and how podcasting and more multimedia channels are being used much more instead of just blogging. Then we talked about delivering a product being so much easier nowadays than it used to be. Social media also is now a kind of pay-to-play situation. Which is kind of scary, and we got to think about that for the future. Future, rather. Uh, email automation, segmentation, customization, personalization is so much more sophisticated and accessible than it used to be. Team collaboration has had a dramatic change using tools like uh, Slack and Trello and Co Schedule. Uh, there's a lot more competition now than there used to be, and that has changed things significantly. It's, it's become easier to create the super niched super fan and become one of those celebrities to people where you're one of your thousand true fans keeping you going. Uh, People now run entire businesses on social media platforms. That has not been the case in the past decade. And there are still those few people who are still around, who have been doing the real work. Okay, so Pat Flynn, going to you first. What if you had to pick one medium for the rest of your life, like you're not allowed maybe even to do anything else, you just have to double down on this one thing, what would it be for Pat Flynn right now in 2017, considering uh, right. what's coming in the future?
1: But yeah, I mean, honestly, it'd be podcasting, 100%. Um, I was at a video conference recently, and Gary Vaynerchuk went up for a keynote, and he told everybody who was in the audience who was there for video to pay attention to podcasting and to audio, because that's where things are headed with things like Alexa and et cetera. Seriously,
0: Um, I go the opposite. I'm like, video's on the rise.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. I can also easily create audio wherever I'm at versus worrying about the production yeah. value that's required with video, that's also a big part of it as well.
0: Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, so that gets you, another thing about the podcasting I love so much is, I mean, these if, if there's some lonely listener out there who's still listening to us just rant and rave after all of this time, there's longevity in a podcast that oh, yeah. you don't get in a video yeah, very yeah. easily, that's right? True. Okay, Corbett, yeah. what would you do?
2: So my mind immediately went to uh, not what's going to be popular and where the trends are headed, <clears throat> but what, I am capable of creating day in and day out. Yeah. What do I enjoy? Because if, if you don't enjoy it, if it's arduous for you, yeah. then you may not make it 10 years, whether or not the platform does. So for me, it would come down to either blogging or podcasting. Blogging is interesting because of uh, search yeah. and it's really easy to drive a lot of visitors from blogging, but podcasting is so darn fun to create and to show up. And th- when you reach someone, Via podcasting for an hour, if someone yeah. listened to this entire episode, yeah. they are connected to us in yeah. a way that they never could be from a blog post. Yeah, so I might have to go with podcasting as well. Wow, double pod, double podcasting, <laughs> double
0: pod. Oh my god, <laughs> double podcasting, unheard of, folks. I've never seen this in the history of calling the future. You're seeing two kind of white dudes one one, really white one like not really that white guy talking about podcasting as the future to to be invested in so I love that Pat man thank you so much for being on the show man thank you Pat thanks for
1: having me on guys yeah
0: All right. so this has been Fizzle Show episode 244 we're gonna have show notes and links for you at fizzleshow.co slash 244 here's an iTunes review from The Bouge in the US of A who says I'm hooked I'm thrilled I found This podcast. My only disappointment is that I didn't come across it sooner. Thank you, the Booge. Listen, if you're a new listener, you can always go to Fizzle.co/slash/toolkit to get our free toolkit of tools, resources, and guides for you, including the ten most essential episodes of the Fizzle Show. Again, thanks to Pat. You guys send him some love on Twitter and Facebook out there. Say thanks for being on the show if you've loved this. And that'll be all from us here in the studios in Portland, and San Diego. We will talk to you on another time. We'll see you there. Or we'll see you another time. Or we'll see you on another time. Fine. care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks, you guys, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.